0: You're listening to the Companion Gundog podcast. I'm your host Grayson Geyer and today it's just me flying solo. And uh and before we get into today's topic, I really want to take a moment um to thank uh, this podcast's sole sponsor Mike Nadusky at Ugly Dog Hunting. Um you know, when it comes to uh to retail operations, especially in the in the online space, you got options out there. Um and what I'll tell you is always the reason I chose Mike, uh the reason I I lean on Mike as a sponsor for this podcast is because I know him personally and I know what he stands for. So, you know, if you're going to go somewhere, uh you might as well go to the guy that is active in the conservation space, um is active in uh in the sport and uh, you know, heavily involved in NAVDA. He's doing things to uh to further um to further the things we love right and so to keep the birds around to keep the habitat around to make sure that our dogs are uh are uh, that we have access to are of the highest quality and available to us in the future and uh, it's just his passion he's got a deep love for it and so you know um again you know there's there's multiple places out there to go find your stuff mike is the kind of guy uh, that's going to provide great customer service. I've referred several clients to him um, at this point personally, and uh, and they all give me great feedback in terms of their interactions with Mike. And so he's done. Um, done amazing things, uh, in a very short amount of time with that business. The, um, the inventory continue, continues to expand and pretty soon he and I are going to get together for another podcast, uh, focused on gear. So like the gear I used and, you know, I'm a minimalist, um, and, but the things I, I want, they're very specific. They're not always extremely available in other places. Uh, and so, uh, we're we're fine tuning that, making sure that before we get that thing together, everything's available through Mike, and um, and that's coming up in the in the real near future. Uh, so again, you know, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Ugly Dog Hunting Company. I appreciate you guys taking care of me, um, and I and I highly recommend anybody out there listening to me swing by his site. Um, just take a look at it. Whether you need something or you don't, see how it's growing. See uh, the the customer interface is uh, is intuitive and easy and clean and nice. Um, it's nothing's more frustrating to me than when it's like time to check out and it's a convoluted process. Mike's is nice and smooth, so that says a lot for me. And of course, you know you just got a great guy at the helm, a guy that's uh, that's here for us, that's promoting our sport, promoting our way of life. So um, so good over there. Check him out. Let me know what you think, and uh, and you know, stay in touch with Mike. You got any uh, you got any feedback? I'm sure he'll be all ears. So, with that said, today, um, I'm going to touch on a few topics. Uh, you know, it's mostly I like to do a kind of a season recap, and I've I've kind of brushed on it in the last couple of podcasts, but I haven't gone into a deep dive. So, I want to give a good recap of my uh, 2020 or 23, 2023, 2024 bird season. Um, and duck season, which I was a lot more active in this year. I want to talk, I guess the meat of the podcast and probably the most important topic for me right now is to talk a little bit about breeding. I've got a, uh, a nearly two week old litter on the ground, um, from, from my pet, my house dog, my, 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 my buddy Althea. Um, and so we had some interesting, interesting experiences, uh in the during the whelping process and i want to address those and just give some general thoughts on my own on breeding i'm, I'm by no mean means an expert it's something i've done for a hobby i've done it enough to feel comfortable and competent doing it but i'll tell you what it's always a scary process and so we'll be touching on that and then um and then just kind of to wrap up we're going to discuss the future plans but jumping in um it was it was a great hunting season for me. It was uh maybe my favorite to this point. You know, I had a birthday this past weekend. I'm 44 and it's been weighing on me particularly hard this season that um you know that n- number one nothing's guaranteed in life. And so every day we wake up breathing is a is a gift. Um but I'm I'm if I'm not there already, I'm I'm rapidly approaching that time before where I have you know, more, more years behind me than I got ahead of me to hunt. And, um, you know, I, we don't know what's in store for us in life, but even if I make it to, and I'm, and I'm in the woods at 80 years old, uh, that would be wonderful. But, you know, at this point in time, that's, that's less than halfway, um, uh, over the span of my life. And, and I have been lucky to have, had my youth spent in the woods as well if not actively hunting then then kind of learning what it means to be a woodsman to some degree um and so uh, you know that that thought was just it was ever present all season i i uh and i really i think it it's a good thing it it kind of made me slow down and appreciate uh, the time I did have to be out there more, I spent a lot of time hunting alone this year. Um, my uncle, who was a major influence on me, um, passed away earlier in the year, and so you know he was. It, it, I felt his presence with me as well. You know, I just remembered every time I I did something, I would remember a little anecdote or a story from him or time spent around him as a kid, and uh, and so. Um, and so that was special for that reason. And, and, uh, I certainly miss him and, uh, as, as does the rest of the family, but I'm glad to know that, uh, that I get to share a bit of his legacy with everything I do in this space. So, um, so that's a good feeling. My first, uh, I guess my first real hunt of the season was in what we call the wood duck season here. It's just a brief three day season, uh, in October, Um, Mid-October for wood ducks, I think it was the 13th this year maybe, but um, I had gone out. I like to fish a lot in the summer. Most of my fishing, I'm kind of fantasizing about where I'll be duck hunting. Uh, Come the season, I like to to paddle around a lot. I really enjoy that and spend a lot of time in the backwaters and just kind of think about where I'm going to be. And this year, I happened to stumble into this really neat little hole on a creek uh, off the river and uh, on public. And when I got in there, I kind of eased my way back, and and this would have been probably September sometime. I saw, I saw a pile of wood ducks in there, and so opening day, I got there relatively early. I set up and um, and I I you know, I had set up just a little too far up creek. They were in you know I guess the day I had kind of moved into them earlier uh, that that year or last year. I'm guessing they just had time to kind of disseminate from the time they got into that hole in the morning. And so they were a little further up Creek. When I saw them there, I set up where I saw them. And they, uh, when they sat down on opening day, I could hear them lighting. Oh, probably 50, 60 yards short of me. And they just kept coming. I could hear them. Then they started playing on the water. It was, and so I wanted to put the sneak on them. I didn't want to I didn't I didn't wasn't sure if I needed to just sit and wait until they swam up creek or if you decided to um you know maybe land a little further up creek as they kept coming in but I kind of waited for shooting light to pass I could hear them out there just having a ball on the water and, and wood ducks are are playful it's a lot of fun to just sit and kind of watch them and I as the as the sun came up there was a little haze on the water and it began to lift a little I could see kind of the shadows of the ducks down the creek and um, and finally I started to get impatient and and I was like, okay, I'm going to move down to that hole and just be as sneaky as I possibly can. I had Althea with me and, and what I like to do when I'm kind of sneaky hunting like that is set her up maybe 30, 40 yards back in the woods. She, she just will lay down in whatever spot I put her in and take a nap until things start to happen. And then she's in the game. Um, and so she was being a good girl and hanging out back there. Uh, and I looked back, checked on her and, and started to make a move. And just as I was shifting to, uh, to kind of put the sneak on the, on the big hole, um, a duck popped out uh, off the bank right in front of me within gun range, about 15, 20 yards. And then, so one kind of swam out there. It was a Drake, um, And so I kind of leveled off on him and I'm like, man, you know, I'd I'd really rather get a good jump on this hole. Just as soon as I started thinking about it, a hen popped out behind him and started swimming around. And, and so I took a breath and I was like, well, two's good enough. And right then when I had that thought, another Drake popped out. And so our wood duck limit's three and I had three swimming around 15, 20 yards right in front of me. And so my, my thought was, okay, well, I'll take the first one on the water and, and hopefully be ready to get the other two on the wing as they get out. And so I sat there, took a little breath, um, leveled off on the Drake, uh, and, and squeezed the trigger and, and, uh, had a crack and a little smoke and, and he was flipped over laying there on the water and the other two never batted an eye. And so I just, I never even heard the other ones get up down on the big hole either. And so I kind of shifted over a little bit to the right and, uh, and got on the other drake and, um, and did the same thing and repeated the exact same thing. And that hen never got off the water either. And, uh, and so I got all three of them on the water, which was not my intended plan. I was hoping maybe for a little bit of wing time, but I'll take it. It's also opening day. And, uh, and if I'm ever feeling, is if I want to go ahead and and have some some game in the bag that's that's the day I want it I it's nice to fulfill a little bit maybe not of the bloodlust but just feel like you had some success so three shots three birds down uh, they made it easy for me it was literally ducks in a barrel um and then I, I you know got Althea down. She collected all three for me. Nice, easy little retrieves, nice water temps, fun day. We were shoot. It was, it wasn't eight o'clock yet. It was probably seven thirty as that all that was going on. Um, and, uh, and then I walk, I kind of, I, ne- I still never heard. I mean, I must've had dozens of ducks 50 yards shy of me at, at shooting light. Um, and so I kind of sneaked down there to see if I could see them at all. And none of them were there. So my only guess is, I mean, I would have assumed I would have heard them on the wing, is that maybe they snuck down the hole. But I was home in time for breakfast. Uh, it was a Saturday morning. Uh, my wife, my kid was up watching cartoons and my wife wasn't uh, wasn't even stirring yet. So um, that's a success whenever I can get home and get to the honey-do list and, and not lose any brownie points at the, in the early season is a good thing. And so... Um, so that was it. I had a good November season too. Got out quite a bit on that and got to travel down to the coast once during that time and had a had a good teal shoot and that was wonderful with friends and um at a very special place that I'm lucky to have access to on occasion and and so uh if the owner of that place is listening, thanks, man, I really appreciate it. It means a whole lot to me and 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 those moments that I get to spend down there are uh, are very special so got got through this November season. Um, and then of course, always getting excited about woodcock coming around the corner. And so that came in this year, I think on the 13th or 14th of December, I I probably could have had a calendar in front of me to let you know when all that was, but that's my other opening day. And, and so, uh, you know, I decided to save that on my calendar. I, I, this year I was very busy with what I call my woodcock wild bird training hunts. And, um, and I think I've gone over it on the podcast in the past, but what I try to do is not necessarily guide as much as do a little map study with a client that's interested in going with me. Um, Try to pick a new place, something to prospect or, or maybe a place I've, it's hard to find too many places I haven't been in the last 15 years or so around here, um, but there's, there's always something that needs exploring. And so the idea is to not just jump into the same old honey holes over and over again, um, but to work for new cover and and new, maybe even new habitat types, uh, which we explored a little more this year. Um, and so being really busy with that, I did save opening day for myself. And I took, uh, I took Pete, who is my VC, um, French Brittany and, uh, and, and just, Automatic, lovely dog to hunt with. I mean, just an absolute joy. And I took a, a new setter along um, that was uh, was turned over to me by a by a client that was dealing with some health issues. And uh, and he, he, I'd kind of grown attached to him and got him well started here. So that's Teddy. And so Teddy and Pete came out. And Teddy's absolute greenhorn in the woodcock woods, and and Pete's an old pro. And and uh and teddy got a lot of great experience and pete did his thing and and it was just a wonderful day we moved 14 birds picked up a limit um in a in a place that's one of my favorite holes on the planet and luckily at it, it opening day fell on a monday uh so either for that reason or hopefully maybe i hadn't been burned up too bad people you know where i hunt there's only so much public land and and with you know the Woodcock growing in popularity, or the hunting of woodcock growing in popularity, uh, the the spaces are you know not quite as open as they used to be. you know it's it's much more um, common to see a truck in in your parking lot or uh, off the side of the road where you're planning on hunting nowadays than it used to be. But that's okay. It's a part of the game, and 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 if you're hunting public, that whether you're hunting deer or turkey or or fishing, or ducks, or whatever, you know, part of that game is learning how to work in and around the other hunters out there, and and we tend to get real frustrated about it, but I think this year in particular, I kind of enjoyed it more, Um, uh, feeling like, number one, if I can still manage to get out and find birds in places that other people hadn't figured out yet, then that feels, you know, makes me feel you know it strokes my ego a little bit, but also number two to know that the more people that are involved in the sport um you know the the better off the resource is gonna be likely you know there's there's money and and energy and effort and and passion going into it, and so hopefully these folks that are out there enjoying it alongside me are 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 putting their money where their mouth is and 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 their time and their effort as well and and trying their best to help conserve the resource so so Lovely day, beautiful place, beautiful setting, wonderful bird work from Pete. Teddy knocked quite a few of them around and, and started learning and started flashpointing and hanging on to them a little bit and realized that they were in play. And as the season progressed, he he became a relatively serviceable woodcock dog. He still... He's still got some learning to do. They're still not a quail. They don't hit his nose just right. But but uh, he's figuring the game out, and before it's all said and done, he's going to be he's going to be a very nice dog in in those types of covers. So um, so that was that other opening day, and then the season just kept going on. Man, I was out almost. Gosh, I wouldn't say every day of the of the woodcock season, but I, and I again would have to check notes, but I'm, I think well over thirty five days of forty five day season. So. Um, and found birds almost every time out, got skunked a couple of times, but had, a, had just a really, really nice season and went all the way through January, uh, towards the end, carved a little time out for myself again. And, and, and um, and kept prospecting though. I, I really enjoyed that more this year than ever. I, you know, I, I, rarely visited the same hole. I think I went back to my favorite spot a couple of times, you know, but I spaced it out a lot and saw a truck in there once or twice. And that's, again, that's fine. Um, and to kind of cap the season off, uh, we had that St. Hubert trial that we've spoken so much about and it was a resounding success. And so, um, that was really the only field trial or hunt test I participated in at all during the the hunting season, so i I enjoyed not spending so much time doing the dog games on pen raised birds this year and and more time um just in the woods and with friend friends new and old and and some some solitude as well and I'm excited to get a couple of tests and trials in I'll be heading down this weekend to lake City, South Carolina for another trial um for the, uh, UKC trial for the CEB, and that's the Carolinas EB gundog club. And, but, but the St. Hubert's trial, it really, it hit just right. It accomplished exactly what we wanted it to. It was the second one we've done. And I would say this one, uh, was a market improvement over last year's. Um, we had, uh, we had a pig and had a lot of fellowship and a lot of fun and people really enjoyed the format. Um, and and again, it accomplished what we were aiming to accomplish. And I'm hoping to do more of that in the future. If you weren't involved, we'd love to get some feedback on you. If you're interested in maybe being involved and throwing another one of those together next year, let us know. Um, there's a, a, a small group of us that are actually gonna get on a um uh on a Zoom call tonight and start talking about making plans for, for next year as well and, and moving forward with that and um so again, you got an interest in it? Let us know if it's something you might want to be a part of administratively. Uh, we could certainly always use the help. Those things don't—they don't happen without a lot of hands in the pods. And and so this year, and and hopefully into the future, we were supported and um, really led by the Bird Dog Society, uh, and that's uh, the Jim Burris as the president, Terry Ann Fernando the secretary, and they they carried uh, an immense. Portion of the load there, and of course, um, Will Newell uh, was involved as well. And so, thank you to to those guys. Um, and uh, and if you're looking for a good organization to get behind uh, in this space, I would say the Bird Dog Society is uh, is a quality class group of people that have the right ideas in mind. And so, they're working to, for public access. They're working to help clean areas up and and just promote um, general education in terms of bird dog help people that maybe are a little confused about how to get started get started and and if you're looking for educational resources you need to head over to that website that's the bird dog society website and uh, and learn more um, they're actually having an event uh, called the trouble with bird dogs I want to say it's in May and I'm, I need to register I want to go really bad it's uh but it's going to be a trip up to george evans who i've spoken about in the past and i didn't even go over my west virginia trip going over my season recap but i did have uh, an earlier podcast recapping my my west virginia trip which was not necessarily a uh a huge success in terms of bird numbers but it, it, it in terms of it kind of scratching the old nostalgia itch it doesn't get any better um so bird dog society's putting together this this trip to uh uh, to George Evans's place and visit old hemlock kennels and, and, um, and kind of see, uh, what all that was about. And, And that should be, that should be a really neat deal. So anybody interested in that, check that out at the Bird Dog Society website as well. Maybe, uh, maybe we can rub elbows up there a little bit and have some fun stomping around George Bird Evans old grounds. So, um, you know, so that's a brief recap. I Kind of went over my favorite hunts of the year, my opening day of woodcock, my opening day of duck, my couple of trips down to the coast, and, and to hunt at at a very special place down there with some good friends. Um, you know, but there were many other great days in in, in between all of those experiences, and uh, and I, uh, I'm looking forward to next season, and and looking forward to kind of this new phase of my life where I just appreciate, um, being in the places I go more than I think I ever have. You know, the sport is wonderful. The dogs are wonderful. Um, but the opportunity to just be in, uh, be in the woods, it means a lot. And so don't, don't let that pass you by. Don't, don't, ever forget to have gratitude for what we have, you know, as, as humans on earth and as Americans and everything else. And just, uh, there's a reason we're out there and, and drink it in and enjoy it. Um, so kind of transitioning, um, I have that litter on the ground out right now is on four healthy pups. Um, and it's a repeat breeding and so this is my lab and I've gotten a little more into the lab breeding I would say over the last 4 or 5 years. Uh I was I was still not saying I won't have another litter of French Britneys. Um it's a little different in terms of the market, but also um you know, the gene pool is is a very small one in the French Britneys, but there are some good breeders out there and I'm kind of finding myself Enjoying the role of supporting some of the other breeders, you know, and and in terms of the the market, it's just there's not as many outlets for the French Britneys, and so I don't want to just be breeding to add to the surplus of dogs out there, and that's not knocking anybody else out there that's breeding more prolifically in the French Brittany space, but especially with uh with COVID and there was this boon for you know for breeders and puppies and puppy buyers out there. Um, for a while, uh, I, I felt like maybe there was a little bit of a, um, you an over, oversupply and, and the demand has kind of fallen off. And so I'm just kind of waiting to see how that falls out. But I do have a pup, uh, from Pete that was a stud feed puppy that I'm starting. So that's my new EB project and I'll be holding a lab back from Althea. And so my hope is that kind of covers me for the next three to five years, um, with both of those types of dogs, you know, I always, I, I I always have to have my lab around Althea. This will be her last litter. Um, so as soon as she's, uh, as soon as she's recovered from this one and kind of back to being fit and everything else, I'm going to go have her spayed. And I'm making that decision because of Ella, who is my EB bitch. That's my house pet. Um, we, uh, she had some mammary tumors. um, and, and aged and she hadn't been bred in five or six years now. And, uh, those mammary tumors became problematic and we had to have a a surgery, having, having them removed, um, in the fall of the year. And that was, that was a pretty rough ordeal. And, and I'm just going off the, uh, the advice of my veterinarian, his name is Pete Gilliard out of Clemens, North Carolina, that runs Clemens veterinary hospital. And, um, you know, he's probably full up. I don't know that he needs more clients, but my goodness, I'm very lucky to have Pete. Pete has been a, a heck of a resource for me over the last few years, and, and I trust him wholeheartedly. And and one thing he told me is, hey, man, you know, when you get, when these breeding bitches are, are done with their service in that regard, it's a good idea to have them spayed. It'll slow, you know, the, the formation of these mammary tumors and, and any other complications that, you know, may have arisen. Um, from from their time in life where they were where they were producing pups. And so uh so without Thea, we're gonna go ahead and get that done. And we got many more wonderful years ahead of us and looking forward to to next season having her out there duck hunting. And it's nice to just know that um you know maybe the, the burden of of puppy rearing and whelping is behind her as well. And and with that said, you know, getting into this litter, this was a repeat Breeding, I had—I uh, want to say—I had eight pups off her last litter um, that were all healthy and well. Had an easy well whelping. It, it was a it was a cakewalk um, this time around. We bred her back to Mitchell River Redman, uh who goes by the call name of Cecil. Now belongs to Tracy Hayes in Elkin, or the Elkin area of North Carolina. Wonderful dog. The last litter was a absolute home run in terms of what I was looking for and what I really like is to breed for a very sound temperament and and good drive. I, I don't need the most driven dog on the planet, but it's got to be a dog that can train to, I would say, it. it I would want to be able to take any dog I breed through a master hunter level. Uh, And that requires a good or a uh, HRCH level, you know, and and you got to have drive for that. You got to have some emotional bottom. They got to be able to withstand their training. Um, But what's really, really important to me as well is that um, is that the dogs are fun to be around and easy to live with and, and want your companionship and then the type of dog that you want their companionship. And and so Althea is exactly that for me. She's just been a wonderful dog. Um, and, and the pups off the last litter produced very, I would say maybe a touch more drive than Althea, which is something I was hoping to improve on a little bit. She's not a low drive dog, but I I wouldn't mind a little more pop. And we got that, but we kept that beautiful temperament. Um, and, and so again, that, that was kind of perfection. So happy to repeat this one. And she had an easy pregnancy. She never, you know uh, didn't, no complications. She'd seemed happy going into it. And a couple of weeks before whelping, I moved her out to my whelping pen area. I've got a, um, an out, an outbuilding that is heated and controlled climate, um, and put together just to be an isolated area to whelp the pups. And I really like it. It's, it's self-contained kind of hermetically sealed. It's got a Uh, an elevated outdoor run area where as the pups grow, they can go out there and it's easy to keep clean. Um, And again, climate controlled. And so she moved out there with no stress. Everything was fine. And uh, as we got to about within 48 hours, she kind of quit eating, which is very normal. Um, But she just, she just seemed a bit off to me. Like she was just a little more tired than normal um, going into the delivery. And, uh, and she began to deliver almost right at midnight on the 63rd day, which is, which is, you know, normal gestation. And she passed her first couple of pups, no problem. Um, everything was going smooth. And then the, I came in was about, she'd been laboring for about an hour and a half, but she was looking exhausted. And so I'm starting to think, are we you know, it, it worse than normal. Um, and so I was, uh, supplementing calcium, which is a, a pretty important thing to do throughout the delivery, uh, is, is that can kind of, those levels can dip and, um, I come to the fifth pup and I was not, I try to give them space when they're delivering. I, I, I'll go in and I'll step out and give her time to deliver another pup and then I'll go check on her. And, and, uh, and when I did this, She's just passing fifth pup, and it, it was stillborn, and she really struggled to pass that one, and she just looked so smoked. And uh, you know, now we're getting into the wee hours of the morning, and I got my phone ready to to, to consider going to the uh, going to the e vet to see if we needed to finish this up, but also we don't want to move a bitch while she's in whelp, if we can at all avoid it. Also, we got these brand new newborn babies on the ground. Uh, so we got cleared that and then she had a sixth pup that was delivered healthy. And, and again, she smoked, um, the puppies are doing okay. We lost the one. So we're down to five pups and I kind of make sure everything's good. The, the place is in order. We're, we're coming in on morning. She seems healthy and, and doing okay, but really, really tired. And so I just said, okay, well, first thing in the morning, we'll get up to Dr. Pete and, uh, I I didn't want to move pups then either, but I didn't like where she was. And so I was down in the building and I kind of drifted off and, and woke up about an hour later and checked and, and sure enough, she had, uh, we had the rails up, everything was good. And she had, um, kind of rolled over on a pup and she just wasn't with it. And this is out way out of character for her in the whelping box, but, uh, but she ended up suffocating one of the pups. And so we lost another one. So we lost two pups, um, in delivery, uh, which is, which is heartbreaking. It's amazing how, you know, you, you don't have any emotional investment in these puppies in terms of having lived with them, but it's, it, it's tough. And you can almost feel it on, on the mother too. You know, she knew pretty well right away as, as I, you know, took care of that pup and got it out of the whelping box and, and, and got the other four on her. That uh, you know, there's just kind of a sadness around those moments. Um, and, and so we got to Dr. Pete the next morning, he gave her a shot of oxytocin to clear what, whatever was in there. You know, it's something I have a vial in, in the fridge, but I, I, to me personally, I, I don't want it unless I feel like it's an emergency and I need to make that decision to clear a pup, um, I'd, I'd prefer not to give that to her. And so, but we got that done and for the next couple of days, I would say the next 96 hours, she just, I, you know, wasn't with it. It was, wasn't the same as normal. And so I was really, really worried about her. Um, she, she did rebound and is now, like, just fine. But, you know, I don't know if dogs can suffer postpartum depression or if she just, you know, if the timing was just wrong or whatever. But... Every time something like that happens, every time there's just a little complication. This is—I've only had—I I wouldn't even call this one a terribly complex delivery. I mean, it all worked out at the in the end. Okay, we've got four healthy pups out of six. Um, it—it it wasn't a fun delivery, and uh, and and you just need to know if you have any ambitions of breeding. And again, I'm by no means an expert. I've bred. You know, a couple of years I've bred two litters. Most years I breed one, and and so I'm probably at under fifteen litters total for for my breeding career, if you will. Um, yeah, I feel comfortable going into those evenings, but when it when it doesn't happen just right, it's not a, it's not a great feeling. And and um and of course when it's your your best buddy dog out there. You're just worried to death over it. And so people need to know that getting into it. It's not always just the, the miracle of life and, and there's wonderful feelings. Sometimes it is. And, and, and sometimes it's just perfect and easy. And, but, uh, but it, it, it's, it can be a rough business and, and, uh, and it's dangerous. And it's just the same for, for humans out there. You know, I mean, it's, it's complicated sometimes and it's tough and it's, it is nature. Um, and I'll continue to breed. I, I I do enjoy it. I think it's important to stay connected. You know, we hunt uh, and, and we take life and we harvest game. And and I, to me, being a part, playing a role, and you know, breeding may not be what you consider natural in terms of breeding. Selected dogs for their selected genetics, but to some degree, it is. It's part of what makes us humans is is having domesticated animals and, um, yeah, and and being a part of that process. So there's something that connects you to the natural world. Doing it, it's it's a uh, something I feel like is is a part of me at this point in my life, and I'll continue doing it going forward. And I always want to make produce the type of dog that that I like, and and hope that it's the type of dog that. Uh, advances whatever breed I'm working with in that moment. And for me, it's either Labs or French Britneys and and is an asset to those breeds. And I, you know, in terms of the Labs, not only is the market probably a more stable market in general. So knowing that we've got homes for the pups, it's not necessarily about money. I I don't know that I've ever turned a real profit breeding. You know, there's puppy money here and there. Um, I don't like it for a business because it makes me feel you know, I'd I'd never want to be in a volume game in terms of breeding, I guess, put it that way. I do, I tend, because I have a foot in the working dog world, many of my pups end up going to, uh, to working homes in terms of like detection prospects for police dog vendors and things of that nature. And I usually hold a few back and raise on my own for that same reason. And then if they turn out to, uh, to be a good kind of companion gun dog candidate, then they can go that direction. If they got a little more pop and can, and, and super environmental stability, then they're good prospects for for working dogs. And so having that, just knowing that I have the ability to get those dogs in other people's hands and to make sure they're going to have a good life and good productive life moving forward is very important to me. And so for that reason, that's that's one of the reasons I feel comfortable staying in, in the the breeding of labs. Um but again, you know, it's it's not always a cakewalk. It's not always easy. It's it's late nights. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. And uh and at the end of the day, you've got, you know, you're responsible for the health and well being of those puppies and that mother and 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 that's a that's a burden to carry. Uh so so know that if you're out there considering breeding or you've been breeding for quite a while, I'm just saying things you already know. Um and and ha- you know, have your resources available. You know, I've I'm lucky to have mentors I can have on speed dial and call at three o'clock in the morning, they'll pick up the phone and, and talk me through a situation. Um, but preparedness is important when you're doing this. So, uh, so I'm grateful Althea's honor pups. They're all just super plump, fat, happy puppies at this point. The four of them left. I've got one male in there for me, like I said, picked out and hopefully, you know, 12, 14 years from now, uh, uh, he's, you know, he's doing, doing things for me and he's an asset to the breed and, and he's still around and, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's a special thing to be involved with. So, you know, if you're out there thinking about it, good luck. If you're out there doing it, good luck. And, uh, and just don't take it lightly. And so I guess that's all I have to say on that particular topic, but it, it, this one hit me hard. It's, it's going to stick with me a while and and I'll definitely, whatever my next litter is, uh, I'll be kind of carrying the affect of this past one. um, and so just something to be aware of if you're, if you're playing this game as well. And then I'm just going to close this up. It's going to be a bit shorter podcast, but we'll wrap up talking about my future plans. And so in terms of business, um, you know, uh, I've, I've become a little more active again in the working dog world. I've taken on a few more dogs that I'm starting for detection prospects for other people. Um, and I've kind of slowed my, my training for the public in regards to boarding trains. I've just decided that I enjoy. I, I So I've always run kind of tandem companion gun dog program and kept a few dogs in the kennels for folks that are just wanting their bird dogs, you know, cleaned up or worked out or whatever. And, and uh, I've kind of decided to pare back on any kennel dogs and, and kind of save that space for the dogs that I'm building um and starting and and moving down the road in, in that regard. Uh and so that's so kind of right now I'm deciding on whether it's gonna be four or five dogs in the companion in the companion program. I'm gonna carry five through the spring. Um that's a manageable number. I've tra- I've always trained many more than that at a time. Uh but it's just everything comes down to I want to give each individual client's dog uh, all the attention I, I can, what, what's necessary to get the perfect kind of, uh, program under their belt before they head home. And that means a lot of time, not just working, but a lot of time, uh, just being in my presence. And there's so much, you know, we talk so much about operant conditioning, classical conditioning, um, compulsive training and all those things. But at the end of the day, it all pales in comparison to just relationship stuff. And so it's spending time with those dogs. And when you got too many things going on, too many irons in the fire, you can't give those dogs the time they need just to be in your presence and just to interact on a very informal level, because that's, that's as much of training as pulling out the clicker, pulling out the e-collar or the prong collar or the bumper or any of that stuff. It's, it's just hang time. And so, you know, and that's, and I've, I've, said it in the past. I mean, if you've got a dog and you're working to train, you know, my first piece of advice to you is is spend more time with that dog. If you're spending quite a bit of time already with the dog, spend more. You can never spend too much time with your dogs. Um the training stuff will come and you practice it, you play with it. That's a part of the time you're spending with the dog, but just having that dog in your presence uh is it means a whole lot. And obviously that we need to be taking our role in the social hierarchy and you know, and manipulating their behavior. But if you're if you're not putting the time in, if you're not there just on the ground with them laying at your feet on the placeboard, relaxing, um you're missing something. So so that's the idea is I need more of that. I wanna make sure I'm I'm able to to focus solely on that. And so that the uh, the companion gun dog program as a board and train program is gonna be the central focus of my board and train business from this point forward. Um, I'll, I'll still take on a dog here and there to help existing clients likely kind of get over some humps if they're in the kennel. Um, but, uh, but not really filling those kennel spots with those types of dogs anymore. I am doing quite a few more group classes. So pretty much settled on about every Wednesday here at the farm, um, which I know is not easy day for a lot of people. I mean, we all work and have busy lives, but I got a a good crew of regulars that can make it out on Wednesday mornings. And, and, uh, and we're moving right along this spring. I've had two classes under, under my belt so far. And, uh, and I kind of started it over from scratch just to go back through everything in terms of, Hey, we're starting a brand new dog. So if you're here, you're bringing that dog that's been coming out for quite a while. You're going to hear some of the same things over and over as I address the new folks with their new dogs. Um, but I love having the older the older folks or not the older folks, but the older uh, uh, clients along um, with their more experienced dogs. And I like to get those dogs on the ground in front of the uh, the newer folks so they can kind of see what they're they're heading towards. Um and that's been a lot of fun so far and I think it's we've had a lot of success and I've watched uh you know over the last i guess really last year of doing more and more group classes uh, a, a handful of these clients and dogs have progressed um amazingly well. And and there's some real success stories there. So I'm enjoying that. We're going to keep that up. That's every Wednesday and then some select Saturdays. And I'll try to keep that calendar out about a month in advance. So my first Saturday class is going to be March 9th. I just had a bunch of weekends get stacked up on here uh, through February. Um, so March 9th will be the first Saturday group class. And then again, every Wednesday you can make it out, come on out. Those are fun. We learn a lot. And, uh, and we just, uh, we got a little community going, which is really, really cool. So, um, moving into, uh, and then I'm going to have uh, actually also, um, got, finally got plans for my snake of my first snake version on the books. And that's going to be Saturday, April 27th. Uh, so I've cleared that with uh, with my snake man Chad, and uh, and we'll do that here at the farm as always. And I ain't not really laid down plans to have a whole lot more. And I've thought about maybe doing a a little more of a, a a boutique type snake break, if you will, where I just take on smaller groups. Those days in the summer, man, when you get into Jul- June, July, August, uh, they they really are a grind and tough and. Um, you know, it's important training for the dog, but, uh, every time I finish one, I'm like, man, I don't want to do that <laughs> anymore. If we get 40 or 50 dogs stacked through and I, my problem is I never take a sip of water or eat a meal or anything. And I get to the end of the day and I'm just, um, I, I you know, I, I, get so focused on the task at hand. I kind of hurt myself doing those days. So we'll see. Um, I'll probably cap those at a a lower number of dogs if I continue to do them that way. Um, Or we'll just offer smaller kind of group, you know, type classes for that moving forward. So um, summertime, uh, I'm going to take a few force fetch dogs on, maybe a a little less than normal um, because I am planning on doing, I've got some detection work I'll be doing that time, um, doing some instructing, hopefully. Uh, and so, just need to make sure I'm not taking on too much work in, in the board and train area, uh, so everybody gets exactly what they need in terms of attention from me. So we'll take a few companion dogs on for force fetch. I got one more spot open for that, and that'll give me four dogs. I'm comfortable with that. With with the um, potential responsibilities I'm taking on, doing some working dog training in that during that time as well. Uh, I may take on some short-term pet work. So if you're out there and you just want some pet obedience done, I'll probably take on a two-week, three-week board and train here and there just to help people, you know, achieve some basic pet obedience type work in that time, just to stay busy. Um, But that's what the summer looks like from here anyway. Uh, September is full for my companion gun dog program. I've got my five in there already except, uh, November is open. Um, I think I got a couple of dogs in there, but there's still some more room for that. So the year is, year is filling up pretty quick and, and, um, you know, just making sure I'm being very cautious to not take on more work than I can handle. So, you know, so that means fewer dogs here, fewer spots. So if you, if you're looking for a board and train program, um, I could get you in for force fetch in summertime or November for bird work. And then of course, uh, if you're interested in doing one of the training hunts, we talked about next season, um, this thing's filled up a lot quicker than I was expecting this past season. So go ahead and get in touch with me and we'll start filling the calendar, uh, probably start booking everything into January. Did a couple of December hunts this year. They were fine. Um, but when you're dealing with public land and you get a place and there's a truck park there, and then you have to. Kind of drop back and punt uh, with deer hunters in the woods and stuff, you know I'll do it on my own, but I you know it can be an uncomfortable experience for others, so we'll probably just book all the training hunts for next season into january of twenty five yeah. um, man, it's weird to think we're already thinking about that, but if you want one, let me know. we'll get you on the books and uh, otherwise guys that's that's all I got for the day. Um, I hope you got something out of this podcast uh again. Please run over if you got anything you're looking to purchase, whether it be electronics, uh, e-collars, leashes, check cords, you know, all the good old dog gear we use on a day-to-day basis. Check out uh, Ugly Dog Hunting um, and and give Mike a call and get everything you need taken care of. He's your man. So with that, I'm out. Everybody have a, a wonderful next few weeks. We'll be back um Uh, with an interesting topic on the next one. I've got some uh, some surprises in store for you guys. Take care.